0: Bibles this morning to John chapter 5, John chapter 5. Let's ask for the Lord's help again. Gracious God, we come now to this time before your word. Lord, as your word is open, may it open our hearts and our minds. Father, this is not the word of a man. This is the very living, active, powerful word of God that is sharp and effective to pierce and divide the deepest parts of our mind and our heart to bring conviction, to bring truth to bear, to bring us to salvation in the hand of your Spirit. So, Father, use it for that purpose. Be glorified in it. Guide the words that are both spoken and heard. Cause them to be effectual for your purposes. Again, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse 16, and I want to read down through the end of the chapter this morning. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling his God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father he does not honor the father he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him truly truly i say to you he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life truly truly i say to you an hour is coming and now is When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do you not marvel at this? For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father, he has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory? ...from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father? The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? We'll go back and pick up verses 16 through 18 for our consideration this morning in a message that I've entitled Truth and Trouble. When the truth is spoken against the backdrop of error, there will always and undeniably so be trouble. Always. There will always be trouble when truth is spoken into and against truth. Error. There is no negotiating between light and darkness. We have in the New Testament the, 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 the perpetual question, what fellowship has light with darkness? There will never be negotiation between light and darkness. There will never be negotiation between light and life and death. There will never be negotiation between truth and error. And so here in John chapter 5, when Jesus, the very man of truth, comes not only and speaks, but does what is true, everyone who has not found their life and their hope and their, their very understanding of God in him and through him are immediately offended. Deeply so. And this is... Brothers and sisters, exactly what transpires in our own experience. When we speak the truth of Jesus Christ, we will encounter difficulty. Far be it from a brand of Christianity that believes they can speak the truth of Jesus Christ, that they can accurately and faithfully, to Scripture, preach Jesus Christ, and yet live a life that is free from entanglement with trouble. Because what we just read in John chapter 5, it really up until his crucifixion from this point on, we find Jesus in constant trouble because he has spoken the truth, because he is the truth. And are we, as his servants, greater than our master? Should we expect that the truth we speak about Jesus, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' word, be received with anything less? The answer is no. And we need only to look to Jesus to realize that when we tell the truth, the truth will always encounter trouble with error. Because light and darkness cannot coexist. The darkness hates the light and seeks to overcome it. And so I want you to see with me this morning that there are two points that trigger these Pharisees, these two truths that pierce them deeply that will become a perennial thorn in their side for the rest of Jesus' life until he ultimately lays down his life and allows them to kill him. I want you to notice, first of all, that there is a trigger that is brought on by his labor. Look at verse 16. For this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, we, last Sunday, last Lord's Day, we looked at the rest of the account of the healing of this lame man here that laid by the pool of Bethesda. And we discovered several things about it that perhaps we. In reading it too quickly, haven't thought of before, but this man was healed so that he could be confronted about his sin. He was not healed because his sin had already been forgiven, as is the case in John 9 or Mark 2 or in other healings that Jesus does. Rather, he goes and, in an unregenerate state, still goes to the Pharisees and says, It's that man whom you seek. He's the one that healed me and told me to violate the Sabbath by picking up my pallet and walking. And so we come to verse 16, and it is because of this man's testimony and because of his betrayal of Jesus that the Jews were persecuting Jesus. They come after him hot and heavy. And Jesus finds himself uniquely in the position of the prophets, all of whom who had gone before Jesus experienced the very same thing, being persecuted by those who claimed to be the true believers and yet rejected the truth. I want you to consider with me for a moment that one of the greatest sermons in all the New Testament was not preached by an apostle. One of the greatest sermons in all of the New Testament wasn't preached by Jesus. Although Jesus is still the greatest preacher who has ever lived and ever will live. One of the greatest sermons that was ever preached in all of the New Testament came from the lips of a deacon. His name was Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives testimony to what Jesus had experienced in the line of the prophets who, in speaking truth, found incredible opposition all the way to the point of death. And you remember that Stephen, in giving this sermon, is about to be stoned himself. He's about to see heaven opened because Stephen dared to speak the truth to this same group of men who are persecuting Jesus in John chapter 5. Verse 16, here's what Stephen says in his sermon. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Now, there's a way to start a sermon. I have the joy of working with pastors and helping them evaluate their sermons. I don't think I've heard any sermon introduction begin that way. No, good morning. We're glad you're here. No, he opened straight up. You men who are stiff necked with uncircumcised hearts and ears always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? That is to say, all of them have been persecuted. They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, meaning Jesus, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not observe it. Wow, what an introduction. But yet what truth against the backdrop of error is communicated by Stephen in the sermon. What truth is illustrated in this, in Jesus' own life, as the Jews are persecuting him for doing the very work that the Father said he would come and do. And so begins a long ministry of persecution for Jesus. In fact, this is the first of seven major Acts that Jesus does on the Sabbath, each one perpetually making the Pharisees more and more angry with him, and that become the pretext for his eventual murder. Such hostility towards Jesus cannot go without retribution. Such hostility cannot be contained to a single or limited event or issue. The Pharisees are in such hatred of Jesus because of his identity. They just continue to pour the persecution on hotter and hotter in more and more ways, not only against Jesus, but eventually against his followers, down to you and I if we speak the truth about Jesus. they are triggered they are angered they are their 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 state of uh, of a lack of conversion is revealed because when jesus does what jesus should do when the message of jesus is proclaimed they are angered by it he has violated their religious sensibilities and that's hard for us to understand because we look at Jesus and we say, what could be offensive by us proclaiming or by Jesus coming and proclaiming, I came to seek and to save. What's offensive about that? Because in order to be sought and saved, you had to be lost and sinful. And that doesn't fly with unregenerate men. And Jesus has come to declare that very truth. And so to say that Jesus came to save, the the question is, from what? Are you telling me I needed to be saved? Are you telling me that my life is sinful? Are you telling us that our religious observances are not enough, Jesus? That's exactly what I'm saying. And so the anger is hot, and it becomes hotter, as you see just here, even in John 5. This campaign of persecution intensifies against Jesus. He came to seek and to save. But that implicates them that they are lost and in sin. Something they don't want to hear, something lost sinners never want to hear. And unless the Holy Spirit convinces them that that is the case with them, they won't ever hear. So Jesus comes and he's met with this great hostility because he is working on the Sabbath, the the very day of rest, to bring them into spiritual rest. They don't want to hear it. And that brings about a second triggering of their religious sensibilities. Look at verse 17. This is where it really gets interesting. They are persecuting Jesus because he is doing these things on the Sabbath. And notice this, Jesus then answers them. But he answered them. But he answered them. Real quick question, and I know you're all a bright crowd this morning. Look at your Bibles and see what it is that Jesus is actually answering. They've not yet said anything. And yet Jesus begins to give an answer to them. He knows their heart. They've not made any outward accusations against Jesus. They're persecuting him. They're seeking to destroy him. And yet Jesus here, without being directly asked or accused of anything, answers them preemptively. And he says this, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. They are triggered by Jesus' work on the Sabbath. Now they are triggered even more so by Jesus identifying himself with the Father. Jesus gives us response, and it is quite unique, because they have not yet accused Jesus verbally about anything. They've not asked Jesus about anything verbally. Jesus, Jesus just simply cuts loose with a preemptive statement about himself. He doesn't try to excuse the healing. He doesn't try to to justify anything. He simply goes straight to what really matters, and that is who he is. He is one with his Father. Another thing that makes Jesus' statement to them unique is this, that the wording Jesus uses is rarely used in the New Testament. It is a It is a very formal speech that Jesus gives. It is one of the legal realm that... Attorneys and lawyers in Jesus' day would use to write legal documents and make their case. So Jesus makes a very bona fide case that he himself is God. And now we go to verse 18. Because Jesus does this, because Jesus makes this very unique and powerful defense, we read this, for this reason. What reason? Because of what Jesus just did in verse 17. Because of this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more. Not to persecute him, but to do what? Kill him. It's time for this threat To be disappeared. We are going to end this overwhelmingly. We are going to silence him forever, they think. Because he not only breaks the Sabbath, but now he also calls God his own father, making himself equal with God. He has revealed an identity they don't like. And more than anything else, Jesus offends them over and over again. And we'll get to this in chapter 6, in chapter 7, in chapter 8. Jesus angers them by telling them, I am God. Thus challenging their own notions about who God is and what God is like. So Jesus comes across as a very pointed Response is a very strong response. It is a very definitive response in which there is no equivocation about who they are now dealing with. And this is what challenges these men and this is what raises their ire to the level of contemplating murder. Planning and plotting for his eventual ultimate, they think, destruction. Listen, challenge anyone's notion about God, and you will find just how quickly you can raise their ire. No one likes their definition or their identifying who God is or what God is like tampered with. You want proof of that? Go find a happy atheist, go find a passive narcissist who has made themselves God. They don't like being crossed. They don't like being challenged. They don't like being told it could be something other than what they think it is. And so Jesus does that here. He is, he is not seeking to be offensive. He is seeking to be truthful in a way that saves. Yet they, because of their self-centered and their own bizarre views about, even as he says later, if you, did you read Moses? You say you understand the law, but if you did, you would know that I am he. He challenges that. He raises their ire because of that, and he backs them into a corner theologically. And this is delicious. Jesus is wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove, and yet he preaches so pointedly to these men in just these short verses that their backs are against the wall. And do you know what happens when you back unregenerate men up against a wall, confront them with their sin and the reality of God? Do you know what they do then? They become more vicious. They become the wounded animal, proverbially proverbially speaking. They come after you even more. But Jesus is unafraid. Jesus is undeterred because he understands the truth will always encounter trouble. And he's not afraid of trouble for the sake of truth. And neither should we be. We should fear trouble because of our own silly ways of handling the truth. We should should fear retribution that comes about because we are not godly in the way we present the truth. But we should never fear trouble When we tell the truth. And when we tell it as God would have us to tell it. Jesus is unafraid to raise their hatred to the next level. He continues to deal with them in the realm of truth. And I want you to notice that the way Jesus does it is so clever. He finds a point at which they agree. And then he does as. Only Jesus could do so masterfully, uses their own beliefs and uses their own word against them to prove his point. Now, notice what he does. He finds the place of agreement, and he says this. The Jews are seeking to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father. Making himself equal with God. How is he doing that? Look again at the end of verse 17. My father is working. No, what day of the week is my father working? What's the controversy? Where does it start? On the Sabbath. And he says, now, I'm working on the Sabbath because my father is working on the Sabbath. Do you agree, dear Pharisees, that God the Father works on the Sabbath? And they would be quick to say, well, yes. Yes, we actually do believe that. Because uh, after all, uh, Hebrews 1.3 says that God always upholds all things by the power of his word. Psalm 135, verse 6, whatever the Lord Pleases. He does in heaven and in earth and seas and all the deeps. He causes the vapors to ascend and from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his treasuries. Hey, Pharisees, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen it rain on a Sabbath day? Uh uh-huh. Who do you think did that? Oh, God did that. Does, let me ask you another, another question. Have you seen the tide go out and come back in on a Sabbath day? Well, of course we have. Who do you think does that? Well, Jesus, of course, God does that. So you'll agree with me that God is not completely idle on the Sabbath. Or we wouldn't be standing here. Well, yeah, we we, kind of have to concede that point to you, Jesus. But the point is, you can't be saying you're God and working like him. Why not? You've agreed that God works on the Sabbath, so why are you offended that I would be working on the Sabbath? Oh, so it's really not the Sabbath that bothers them, is it? It's the fact that he says he's God. Because they've agreed that that God can work on the Sabbath. That God does indeed work on the Sabbath. They can deny or try to deny Jesus' identity all they want, but they cannot deny God's activity. So Jesus really, skillfully so, says okay, we'll go back to Moses, we'll go back to creation. God rested from his creation, but that does not mean you'll agree that God ceased from everything on the Sabbath day. Well, yeah, we would have to agree. Okay, so Jesus moves on then. So finding a place of wide agreement, finding a place that they will agree with him on, Jesus then says, why then do you reject my prerogative to work on the Sabbath? I am exempt just as the father is exempt. He is my father, and I do whatever I see my father do. And we know this intuitively. We see our children imitate what we do, don't we? But somebody here, we were having a discussion. I don't remember who you were. Just not that long ago, a week ago, a few days ago, we were talking about our children and how um, one of your children does something right or left-handed and... and he said, well, you know that why that happens. Now, Weston does everything right-handed except play golf. And that's because when he was a little bitty guy and he and I would hit balls together, he's watching me as he hits, and I'm hitting that way, so he hits that way, which means he hits left-handed. He mirrors. He, he does everything he sees his father do. Children do that. Jesus says, I do what my father does. He works on the Sabbath. I work on the Sabbath. What's so surprising about that? Oh, so here's the issue. It's not the Sabbath. It's my identity that bothers you. It's clear that Jesus is telling them that he and his father are indeed one and that he then is God. Now, I want you to notice something. This speaks to Jesus' humanity. Humanity. This speaks to the fact that when Jesus came to earth he came fully and truly as man yet without sin. And Jesus lived perfectly under the law because you didn't and you couldn't. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 Jesus says I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets but to fulfill. I came to fulfill So is Jesus some kind of a rebel now that is just violating the Sabbath, violating the law of God? No, because God is not bound to the law in this way as you and I are. Jesus comes and he works on the Sabbath because he's God, and yet in his humanity that is still no violation. He's still fulfilling the law for us. He and the Father are one, both in their actions, attributes in their essence and in their work and he is right at every point in everything that he does and all the more the pharisees hate him because of what he's doing because he is making himself out because he is to be god here's the danger As Cyril of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers, points out, they were good, in, as far as they knew, they were okay with, and good with being angry with Jesus. That's okay to hate him. They thought they were good doing the right thing even to be angry with Jesus. But what they don't realize, and brothers and sisters, here's where we have to be careful. When we become angry with Jesus or say something about Jesus other than what Jesus has said about himself, what we are also doing is implicating the Father. So in being angry with Jesus, what they are in essence angry with is the Father who sent him. And Jesus made that clear as I read all the way through chapter 5 this morning. You are angry with the Father. You have picked a fight with the Father because you have rejected me. You don't even know the Father because you don't know me. We need to be careful that we don't separate Jesus from the father and reject some part of Jesus that makes us uncomfortable or something about Jesus we don't like and yet still somehow imagine that we're okay with God the father you cannot be okay or accepted by the father unless you are right with and accepted by the son and that's what they're trying to do they're trying to in their monotheism, their one Godism, they are trying so hard to be acceptable to the Father, but they have rejected the very path to get there. For this reason, Cyril of Alexandria continues, the mind of the Jews then became wound up unto cruelty. Wound up unto cruelty. Like a spring waiting to explode in action they are wound up bound into cruelty ready to unleash it they were seeking all the more you know some of the cruelest persecution of the truth of jesus christ and the gospel of jesus christ and the church of jesus christ has not come from pagans it's come from those who profess to be defenders of God. And yet rejectors of Jesus. rejectors of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Some of the worst persecution in the history of the church has come from that, just like the Pharisees. Oh, but we're defending religion. We are defending true religion. We are defending right religion, all the while rejecting Jesus. And those who follow Jesus have always found what Jesus found in those moments, and that is savage hatred for the truth and for himself. And the ire of those who hate him. The Jews are seeking all the more. The verb is in in imperfect tense, meaning it just continues to roll on and on and on and build and build until he finally bleeds and dies on a cross. Why? For telling the truth, for living the truth, for being the truth in order to redeem the very ones who hated him most. One of the things we would look at the Pharisees and commend this morning and say, well, at least they have a high reverence for God. At least they have an elevated reverence for God. Elevated reverence for God, in your estimation, means nothing if you reject his revelation. They reject Jesus. They make God in their own image. They decide they will define what God is like and who God is. Isaiah forty eighteen: To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? And listen, we, we can do this very easily. We can easily apply this to people who make idols. Can't we? The little statues that they bow down and worship. To religious systems they create. We say, oh, look at them, they're they're idol makers, They're, they're mocking God, they're creating false gods. Brothers and sisters, we can do that just as easily. By making God this or that, because we want God to be this or that, really hard on the sins that we don't like, or really tolerant of all the sins that we do like. Pharisees were excellent at that. They could create categories of laws that would just tack their enemies to the wall but somehow excuse themselves. Who will you in me? You really think you can create something like me? You really think you can define me? Psalm 50 verse 21. These things you have done and I kept silence. What's the problem? What's the root of the problem in Psalm 50? It's this, in one little phrase. You thought that I was just like you. There's your problem. He says, then I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. I will set the record straight. They can be faulted then for their blatant ignoring and rejection of the scriptures and of the truth. And you say, well, but but they were Old Testament. How would they have known? Jesus clearly says, if you had believed Moses, you would believe me. There was enough there. That you should have anticipated my coming and known that I am he and I am here to save. And oh, by the way. If I tell a lame man to pick up his pallet and walk on the Sabbath, it's okay to walk on the Sabbath. I am Lord over the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was made for man, to give man rest, not man to be made a slave to the Sabbath. I write the rules. Jesus faults them further. Look in verse 39 of chapter 5. Here is the real travesty for these people. You search what? Scriptures. Hey, look, guys. You read the Bible, you have read the truth, you know the truth. Why why have you done that? Because you want eternal life. Because you think that in them you have eternal life in the scriptures. Well, guys, listen it is those very scriptures that testify to me. And yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Translated, you have nothing because you have rejected me. You may have the scriptures. You may have seminary degrees out the ears. You may have everything in your little scroll memorized down pat, living by all of those rules, plus all the hundreds of rules you added to it. But here's the one thing you don't have. You don't have life because you don't have me. They told of me, and you have rejected that. And until you turn To me, the one whom Scripture testifies to, you have nothing. You don't even have the right God. Because the true and the living God has a son and I am his son. And if you don't reject this son, you don't accept. I'm sorry, if you reject this son, you also reject that God. And you are thus separated from Christ. At what point, gentlemen, your religion is no longer of any value and has, in fact, become a blinding force of deception leading to your own damnation? Wake up. Wake up. So let me ask you a question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? Is he just a prophet? Just a good teacher? Is he a malleable God that can be fashioned and formed to fit your notions of religion? Your notion of sin and of righteousness and of salvation? Is that who Jesus is to you? Is that what you think of him this morning? I want you to notice something here that you must contend with. Jesus is not here simply suggesting that they ought to listen to him, he's not a politician out on the campaign trail, making stump speeches as to why you should pick him versus your idea of religion, uh, your idea of God, your idea of salvation. He is speaking with absolute authority. And for the first time, really, uh, in, in such a direct way, Jesus lifts his voice in an authoritative way, a voice that is going to do something that they have never experienced before. And look down in verse 28 for that. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Guys. The voice that you hear now is the voice that will call the dead out of their graves. That will give life to sinners who are under judgment. This is an authoritative warning is an authoritative gifting of the gift of salvation to them, but they have to bow the knee to Jesus. Something they are increasingly unwilling to do. You and I this morning must also bow our knee to Jesus. So, you know, I don't really like it when Jesus does that. I don't think that's very kind of him or nice of him. I, I, I have trouble with that. That's irrelevant. You must hear him. In fact. We have the, very, the, the father's own words. Later on in John's gospel. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him. Listen to him. Pharisees, wake up, wise up, listen to my son. There is salvation in no one else. And yet because of the salvation he has come to bring and make you aware of, you seek all the more to kill him because he says he is equal with me. Well, he is. I think it's good for us to examine our own hearts and say, Lord, what is in our own mind? And in our own heart, what things have I set up before you that that, that have made themselves equal with Christ? Uh, What things might I be looking to for a false salvation and yet rejecting him at the same time? Because I think I have something else figured out. What idol have you set in his place, just as these Pharisees have? And hey, listen, here's the dangerous thing. One of the things that the Pharisees set in place of Jesus is the scripture itself. Oh, they idolized it. Oh, they revered it. Oh, there was great pomp and circumstance when the scrolls were taken out. Oh, they went to great lengths to memorize it. And yet they twisted it. Be warned. What may we have twisted or worked in such a way that Christ is obscured and our own understanding exalted. Only this Jesus who has made himself equal With God the Father can save you. Nothing else. No one else. Jesus says, if you think watching me heal that man on the Sabbath was something, greater works are coming. Greater works like raising the dead. But if you didn't like what I did today... You won't like what I do then either. The question then becomes, right, do you even want eternal life? Because you're not going to like the way I bring it. Because I bring it under my own authority. We have a great accountability, brothers and sisters. We have been given much in the way of truth. We have the blessing of living in this part of the history of the world and seeing all that Jesus did and seeing how all that has played out. We have no excuses for not believing. Don't let the truth of Jesus find trouble in your heart because you resist him. Listen to him. Believe him. And he will save. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, there are so many temptations around us to look to false idols that promise but can never deliver the salvation that only you through your son could deliver. God, we pray that by the word, the eternal word of God, that you would lift blinders from our eyes that we might quickly identify each and every opposing view to Christ that raises itself up in our minds and in our thinking, and that we would put those quickly to death so that we would only follow Jesus. And even where it is hard to understand or hard to trace, we would never reject Him, but would always be found believing Him. For his glory and for our everlasting good. And at the same time, father, having believed, I pray that you would strengthen us all in the truth that we would never shy away from. Speaking the truth, though, trouble will inevitably pursue and follow that. Speaking of the truth. May we always be confident to speak as our Savior spoke. Because he only speaks and does what he has seen you do and speak. So God, strengthen us, first of all, to believe and to accept the words of Jesus and then to follow Jesus by speaking what he has spoken. Lord Jesus, we pray that by your spirit, you would give us the courage to believe, the courage to do so. So that salvation ensues for all those who will hear and believe by your word being spoken through us. We love you and we pray and ask all of these things again for your honor and glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.